special, wasn't it, to, um, to bless um, our kids, our young people, as they go out as missionaries. And so, thank you, Yambi. Yambi is already gone, I think, with the kids. Um, we're so thankful for, um, for Yambi. What an amazing uh, ministry, right, that she's doing. And thank you, Kara, for your investment in our young people's lives. Did you, did you see this? I'm sure you did. The, 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 the little thing that's on their backpack, um, blessed to be a blessing, and then at the back, this is a blessed backpack, pretty cool. And then it's the words of Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and protect you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, redeem a life. That's so powerful. You know, what a witness when uh, the kids will explain to their friends, you know, what does this mean? What is this thing on your backpack? And so it gives them an opportunity to explain in their own way um, um, what their church means to them and what, what the Lord means to them. And, and we should just continue to pray for them. If, you, if there's a possibility of, you know, you having this on your... Um, a refrigerator or, or a place where it'll remind us to pray for our young people. Um, that'll be wonderful. Just as we pass by the refrigerator or any other central place. Um, I um, do have some show and tell here. Did you notice I have this bow tie here? I don't know if you can see it from there. So this is a special blow tie. Um, uh, it was given to me just before the service began. Dana, um, you know, uh, and Bob, and uh, Dana's mom very kindly selected this. It's a very special bow tie. Oh, the young people are going away. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> what did I say? No. <laughs> um, so it is, um, so I put it on. The only thing is I probably need help with someone to, you know, the other thing, I just take it out and tie it on, and it takes me 30 seconds to do that. This one is a special bow tie, and it's wooden. Wooden? It is wood, and it's really special. So um, you're welcome after the service sometime to take a co closer look at it. You know, come and give me a hug. The only thing is it might fall off. I don't know. Sometimes the magnets don't hold as well, so... Um, so thank you. Thank you, Dana. And, uh, you know, it's so special. We'll be talking about, um, about Redeemer Life being a missionary sending church. And it's appropriate that we um, reflect on the scripture while we are sending out our kids as missionaries. That's a new way to look at it, isn't it? Um, that our kids are going into those environments to be missionaries in their own way. And many times, it's, it's kids that are able to um, speak a lot uh, deeper and a lot more honestly than we do. They really know what it is to be a missionary. And no wonder Jesus um, uh, took a little kid as an example and said, you've got to be like this little kid if you really want to be my follower. So, um, 
they are going as missionaries. And I'm so thankful for also, you know, people like Dana and, um, um, and others who are coming up with newer ideas of reaching out to uh, different groups of people. So Richard Yoon starting up, um, you know, discussion groups in, um, in coffee houses and, and uh, those sorts of places and, and, and coming up with creative ideas of reaching out through music and through dance. And that's good. You know, reach out to your wild neighbors and say, hey, we're dancing. What? You're dancing? You go to church, and church people aren't supposed to be dancing. So tell them, come and dance. And maybe you'll learn a little bit of a Latino dance, a little bit of an um, 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 uh, Italian dance, um, and uh, what else? Uh, African dance. You know, in Africa, when I went there, they, they don't sing. We, they just, the moment they open their mouth, they start moving, you know. They start moving, and that's, what, that's the way they do it. They would, I went with um, grandmas because they're uh, in the villages, Zulu villages, with my students, and, and, and they're they are visiting um, uh, patients who have AIDS, taking care of them. Um, and, and, and so as you go into this house, it's a little hot, really. It's a small hut, no electricity, nothing like that. Um, these amazing women will just start singing. And they're moving. They're not, you know, it's not singing seriously like we do. Uh, it's, they're moving, and they're clapping their hands, and that's how the prayer time begins. And then they pray for these patients that have got AIDS or, or whatever other illness they have, but, but they're moving. That's the thing about Africans worshiping. Um, and we need to learn. We need to learn learn from them. So would you bring your friends to, um, to Pulse, August 31st? August 31st, and start talking about it now itself. And I think it'll be great to have a full house. Do you have overflow room or something like that? Amen. How appropriate, because... A lot of these women that I'm talking about also suffer because they have to carry those huge loads on their head, on their shoulders. And we did some of that, you know. My students, I said, now you've got to carry this for 6K or however long it took them. And they were done, you know, with one trip. And these women have to make so many trips um, back and forth, back and forth. And, and so... so um, do bring uh, resources so that we, we are able to send money to the people that are suffering so much because they don't have water. Do you know that in the next 20 years, the major wars that will be fought will be fought over water? That's what The Economist says in one of their most recent uh, articles, water. So... Pray about that and come, come prepared, please. Um, the, the, I'm just coming back from Houston where it's hot. It's really, really hot. Uh, and you sweat, you sweat. Um, I, I was with um, a, a group of international uh, scholars 
um, of the Old Testament, of the New Testament, from Kenya, from India, from, from all over the world, because we are discussing uh, this new Bible translation um, that we should be uh, coming out with, discussing what are the crucial areas we need to we need to focus attention on, and so it was round the clock that we were discussing verses, and um, it's fascinating to hear the Kenyan perspective, the Korean perspective on what does it mean to have a good Bible translation. So in some senses, this will be the first Bible translation that is truly international. You know, the focus has been West, the Western world, New International Version, uh, the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, all of these are products of Western scholars, and these were international scholars. And it's so fascinating to listen to the accents and to say, no, in my society that will not work because it means this in my society. And so, um, and then I had a little bit of time and I, I went to this place called, of course, here in Houston, you've got to go to NASA. So I did go to NASA and I went in the buses because I didn't want to take Uber or a cab or something like that. I wanted to be with the people. And um, you're with regular people when you take a bus. It's 50 miles from the hotel where I was. I was on the north side of the city. This was right on the south side of the... Have you been to Houston? You have? It's a good place. It's really nice. So be with regular people, talking to regular people on the bus, and then going to NASA to see how creation glorifies God. It's so fascinating, right? You go there. And there's all this stuff that human beings have come up with to go and discover creation. So I went into this, um, they, they take you to, you can take various uh, trams that go to different places. The one I went to was the, the, um, uh, the mission control center where you actually see people talking to the space station. Uh, and it's fascinating to see that happening. Of course, there's a divider in between so that you don't disturb them. But, you know, there, there is that understanding that God's world is so amazing. We only know just a little bit, a tiny corner of that. Um, and so I'm so thankful for those experiences. But while I was there also, you know, we learned about the shootings. So we are living in a broken world. And that's where our ministry is. It's people who are broken. And because they're broken, they do bad things to each other, like go and shoot others who don't look like them. So there's white nationalists who are doing horrible stuff. And we need to engage with those things in very deep ways because people need God's message of peace and reconciliation, which can only be found in Jesus. So let's go back to the early church and read this from Acts chapter 13. We're just going to do three verses, three verses because sometimes when you do too much, then you're not able to cover that. Would you arise and let's read this together? Acts chapter 13. Um, the church at this time is in a place called Antioch, Illinois. Did you know that? Do you know that 
Antioch. Um, I, I don't know how many of you read this history of Antioch, but do you know it was a joke? There were people who moved to this place in Antioch, and some of them were Christians, and so these other people looked at these disciples of Christ people and said, Oh, you people think it's Antioch. Oh, you Antiochy people. So it became Antioch. Isn't that fascinating? The year was 1834. And um, so let's engage with that. Acts chapter 13. Now the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off, just like we sent off our kids to their places of ministry. And just like we want to prepare ourselves to be missionaries to the Lord and prepare that God would indeed turn Redeemer Life into be a missionary-sending congregation for many, many, many years. Let's pray. Our Lord, as we ponder on these words, we pray, Lord, that you would indeed enable us to be like that church in Antioch. Enable us, Lord, to grasp, to take a hold of your concern for a broken world that we may indeed send out missionaries on a daily basis to go and bring about your message of salvation in the name of Jesus and healing and reconciliation and truth. Oh Lord, speak to us. In the name of Him who came down from heaven as a missionary, became incarnate so that we would know God. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So would you please be seated? I want to um, I want to ask you, what are some of the things that came to your mind as you reflected on, on those three verses? It's very short, very short verses. If you turn to that passage in whatever translation you have, New International Version, Old International Version, or is there an Old International Version? No? Why don't they have an old international version? Everyone wants to be new. So uh, do you have a um, new American Standard Bible? I don't think anyone uses that anymore. Do people use that? No? Um, so any version you have, if you would uh, turn to it and, and, um, and reflect on what, what are the things that come to your mind? This is the early church. It's called... It's called uh, it's called Antioch. And did you know that the people were called Christians at this place called Antioch? The first time people were called Christians 
the followers of Jesus were called Christians. It was in this place called Antioch. Um, um, you find that in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. Um, uh, but, but the point is that, you know, why were they called Christians? Of course, I've heard sermons. Now, I say things like this. Sometimes I say it in jest. Sometimes I'm serious about it. But, you know, I've heard people say, Christian, you're a Christian. That means Christ in. That means you've got to have Christ in you. Have you done any historical research? People were called Christians as a joke. Look at him. Ha, ha, ha. He's a Christiani. Christiani. That's Latin. You know, it means he's this Christ follower. That means he doesn't have any brains. That means that it's also an anti-Semitic term. That's why they were called Christiani. Because they didn't believe in them. Christians. Nowadays, of course, we wear it. As a, as a badge of honor. I'm a Christian. Look at me. I'm a Christian. But you know, in many parts of the world, people are scared to call themselves Christians. Pretty much like Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 13. So I want us to go into that environment. What are the, what are the words that come to your mind as you look at that text there? Word, sorry? Fear. Yes, yes, there is fear. They have, they have fled. Fear seems to be a constant word that they have abused, right? These are people who are scared. It wasn't like us. They were scared. They were running helter-skelter from one place to another because everywhere they were chased down. What else? Worshipping. So they were fearful, but they were also worshipping. They were worshipping. They were fasting, did you say? They were fasting. How amazing, you know? What is the antidote to fear? The antidote to fear is worship. Fast. What else? Sorry? Praying. Yes, they were fasting. They were praying. It were, they were constantly praying. And of course, the whole idea is what does praying mean? And uh, praying, uh, many times, it means, oh, you know, we have this prayer list, and I go before God and rattle up. I'm done praying. Right? We go to God with this grocery list of ideas. And, but what does praying mean? What does praying mean? I think the, 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 the thought that comes to my mind is this, movie called Shadowlands. Have you seen it? I would encourage you to watch it. It's a movie about this guy called C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a professor of medieval studies at Oxford University, and then he, he, he became friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, who was another scholar there, and, and they started talking about Jesus. And he encountered Jesus when he was 55 years old, which is old, right? 55 years old, you think that you made up a mind about everything, but he was open to listening. He found Jesus. And then after that, I think when he was off beyond 60, he fell in love with this American woman, and her name was Joy Davidson. 
Joy David's son was a poet, amazing thinker, and he fell in love with her, and he proposed to her, but he realized that she was dying of cancer, so he proposed to her in her on her deathbed in the hospital, and they got married on her deathbed in the hospital, and, and so, of course, time came for her to be promoted. She's dying. And C.S. Lewis comes out, so I'm taking, back, taking you back to this movie in which Anthony Hopkins acts as C.S. Lewis. He comes out of the hospital room. Do you remember that, for those of you who have seen it? Oh, you haven't seen it. He comes out of his hospital room, and he's going back and forth and back and forth because he's in a pensive mood, and he's so sad because his, his wife, his new bride, she's going to die, and... And so he goes back and forth, back and forth like this slowly. And there's a whole group of reporters who are, who are standing there and looking up at this, this hospital um, area there. And, and of course, this reporter, I think he was from Chicago Tribune. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out. He shouts out and he says, So, Professor Lewis, so, Professor Lewis, now that your wife is dying, can you tell me what are you praying about? Think about it. What a question to ask. And of course, Anthony Hopkins doesn't respond. He goes back and forth, back and forth. And then he stops right there in the middle and he says, Who? Who is it that asked that question? You want to know what does prayer mean? Prayer is not going before God with a grocery list of demands. Do this, do this, do this. Prayer is coming to that place where I go before God and I meet God in my hour of suffering and need. That's what prayer is. And we think we have prayer meetings and we have all this list that we have prepared and we do we go through the list. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is meeting God in my existential moment of suffering so that I know who God is in that moment and He meets me and I get changed as a result of that encounter. Praying. What else? Oh, set apart, set up, called, called, set apart. Very, very crucial words, called, set apart, um, set apart from me. And then they're, they're sent out, right? Called, set apart, sent out, missionaries. So powerful, right? Here is a group of people who are fearful. They're running away from one place to another because they don't have any home. Everywhere they go, people want to kill them. Actually, in Acts chapter 14, it says, think about it. Saul was the person who was behind the stoning to death of Stephen. He was killing people. He was the head honcho. You come to Acts chapter 14, they themselves stoned him and left him for dead. Who? The people from Antioch. 
It's so fascinating, isn't it? Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets. I want to see if we can use the words you have here and talk about ten lessons that we may draw from, from these three verses here. The first thing that comes to my mind is that the church has always been called derogatory names, like Christiani, all across the world. So we should expect to be called derogatory names. Many times it's said like a joke. You know, I don't know if you've been in that situation, but that's one of the things that immigrants go through, because immigrants speak in a funny accent. They've just come fresh off the boat and, and all that. They speak with a funny accent, and, and when people speak in a funny accent, people don't take them seriously, and then they make a joke out of what they say, and they have names for immigrants because of, of what they have said, and usually it's a joke. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's not a joke. When you're making fun of people, it is not a joke. It is putting down people. But people have endured that. Christians who had to flee from one place to another had to endure that. But then they wear it as a badge of honor. You know, I've been, I'm presenting a paper, oh, it's coming up soon, November sometime, on um, African-American theologies. And one of the things I've come to realize is that the same words that were used as derogatory terms, these theologians took those, Martin Luther King Jr. and all the people, we're black, all right, we're black. I'm going to wear it as a badge of honor. You want to put me down? But yes, I'm black. Or the same thing with the outcast people. I'm a Dalit. Do what you want to me. I'm a Dalit. I'm outcast. You call me outcast. Yes, I'm outcast. I'm going to wear it as a badge of honor. So you find that, that people all over the world have done that. So it's important for the church to expect and endure derogatory names but then also to use it as a badge of honor. And you find that throughout, throughout the book of Acts, you'll find the church doing that. Um, and as, as you go on further into this text, um, you'll find it saying here, um, in, in the church in Antioch, uh, there were prophets and, and there were teachers so the second lesson, it seems to me, that emerges out of this is that it is... Notice it talks about their ethnic background, right? There is Simeon, and Simeon is... Uh, and there's an N-word used there, right? And there's the other guy who's from Cyrene, and they don't use the N-word, but he's also from Africa. You do not find in ancient society people like that living together. 
The Romans lived in one place, the Sadducees lived in another place, the Pharisees lived in another place, the Samaritans were told this is the small area, this is the only place that you can be. And so it was a very segregated society. It's, it's very similar to um, RTC's classes in North Park, right? And, and everyone is there. They are sitting all together. There is people who are Latino people, African Americans, people from Asia, people from Mongolia, people from Russia. It's a fascinating place to teach. There's people from all over. They're all together. And, and I teach them, and then I go to the dining hall. It's um, whatever it's called. It's called the, called the dining hall, and I go there because I want to eat with them. When I go there, I find that Here's a group of people, they're all from Sweden, and they're all talking in Swedish. Here's another group of people, they're all from Germany, they're all talking German. Here's a group of people who are the covenant kids. They're all white from Michigan and from Minnesota, and they're all talking covenant things. Here's a group of people that are all African American, all blacks, and they're talking their own stuff. And, and there's another group of people, they're all Latino, and I say to myself, what's happening here? They were all together in my class, but why are they sitting separately? Why can't they talk to each other when it is not an organized thing? And that's what MLK Jr. said, right? 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated hour here in the United States. It's the same in other parts of the world. And that's why I do not believe in ethnic churches. Do you know there are people that call me from, um, from Colorado Springs and from Grand Rapids. These are heads of, of denominations. And they'll come and ask me and they'll say, Oh, we want to establish an Indian Reformed Church on Devon Avenue. What advice will you give us? And we want to establish a Methodist church. And so in India, you, I mean in, in, in India, little India there, you, you have hundreds of churches. They're all Methodist Gujarati church, Methodist Malayali church, the Martoma church, the Assemblies of God only speak in Tamil. And so you have all these churches. They just talk to each other because they want to be with each other. Where's the oneness in Christ? Where is the oneness in Christ? When we are supposed to be worshiping God, that's when diversity matters. But you have these people who have fled persecution and they're all together. Look at these people. They're from Africa. People like Simeon. Do you know who this Simeon is? The Simeon was the guy who was passing by because he wanted to see this Jesus who was going to be crucified. And these Roman soldiers looked at him and said, you're a black man. And he says, yes. Take this cross and pick it up. That's the Simeon that Acts chapter 13 is talking about. What an honor to, to, to carry the cross of Jesus, right? But it's only after that you think about it. But the reason he was asked to carry it was because he was black. He was from Africa. You come to the church in Antioch. These are all persecuted people. There is no distinction. These are the leaders of the church. They were Jewish. 
There were Sadducees, people like uh, the name that's used here is Manan, the Hebrew word with Menachim. He was probably a Sadducee because he was in the court of, of the Herods, Herod the Tetrarch. And, and then there is Saul, who's from Tarsus, who himself is going through his issues. So it is a whole branch of broken people who are ministering to a broken world. Do you see this? The church is a place where we are all broken because we have endured all kinds of things from the time we were little kids. And we bring our brokenness into the ministry. That's what diversity does. When it's monolithic churches, then you have, don't have to engage with that. Notice also that they were all leaders. Right? That's the... That's what the early church did. To be a profound church, it didn't say that, no, even if you're trained as a Roman, in the Roman universities, can you be a leader? They were all leaders, diverse leaders who brought in their brokennesses and their own ideas. You know, at places like, North Park University and some of the other universities, I worry so many times because, and churches, they'll, you, you, they talk about diversity all the time. Everyone is talking about diversity. So what about diversity? Oh, let's bring in this person because this is from this ethnic background. Let's bring in this person. This is from this ethnic background. The joke about me was they don't know who I was because my name is Rajkumar Nanjundaya. Uh, Boaz Johnson. And so the joke was, you know, oh, we bring him here because his last name is Johnson. You know, it is North Park University. It is a Swedish university. So people bring in, bring in, and, and actually, I kid you not, one of the major leaders, I won't mention who it was, actually said this in my interview. Do you know why you're being interviewed? Because of, you know, we want to bring in diversity. And because your name is blah, 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 blah. I looked at him like, what? <laughs> yes. And I think about it. But many times that's what we do with diversity. But here they are leaders. Diverse leaders. That means they bring their ideas. They bring their divorce, uh, diverse ideas, and you take those seriously. That's what the church should be. The church should be people that are diverse people who bring in diverse ideas. The church should be multiplicity of leaders that bring in their multiple ideas. That is so crucial, and that's what I like about Redeemer Life. You know, we are truly a multi-ethnic church. And I want to thank God for the leaders that planned that out. Because I go, some, go to some churches and everyone looks like them. That is not the church. There are also multiple leaders that bring in their multiple gifts and abilities. And these are spirit-endowed abilities. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about different leaders who have been gifted with different abilities, and they all bring their gifts and abilities into this 
congregation of people that are seeking to worship God and, and you value the gifts and abilities of each person. It's like the body. Some like the head, some are like the arms, some are like the legs. And, and, and everyone brings in their gifts and abilities. That's one of the things I worry about when, when mega churches become our model because it is all based on one CEO. If something happens to the CEO, everything falls apart. That is not the early church. Multiple leaders with multiple gifts. And as you go on further, it's a group of people. When it says worshiping, literally the word is serving. Everyone serves. Not just two or three people. There have been books written about this. It's called the 80-20 syndrome. Do you know that? Only roughly about 15 to 20% of the people do service. The rest of the 80% of the people are pew warmers. That's not the case with the early church. Everyone served. That means they worshipped. And that's what I like about Redeemer Life, that we have so many people serving, and that's God. We need to multiply that over and over again. There were also people that knew what, how to pray. How did they pray? They prayed by fasting. Do you know what's the, the Hebrew and the Greek word for fasting? It means becoming like the poorest of poor. Why do people fast? Anavim is the Hebrew term so that I can feel for those people that are hungry or homeless on the streets of Chicago. I feel for them. When I feel for them, then I pray for them. Then I know what it is to pray for them. When I know what it is to pray for them, then I'm open to listening to God's voice. Notice what else does it say? It says they are expecting God to answer. It's a church that expects God to answer. It's not just empty prayers, but God, we have prayed so that you would answer. But it's also a church that carefully listens to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to us. I'm open to change, whatever it may be. Even if I have to change directions. It's like... You know, Abraham was told by God to go and sacrifice Isaac. You remember that? Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac. And then he hears this voice. The angel of the Lord says, no, no, stop, stop, stop. Abraham stopped. He wasn't bullheaded, pigheaded to say, no, I've heard God's voice. This cannot be God's voice. He was willing to change direction. And so the early church was willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's, it's a church that habitually and regularly helps people find their vocation. This is very crucial. And I want to stress this a little bit here because you know, some people think there's a spiritual life, there's a life of the church, and then the rest of the days, it's all the life of the world. No, we are all in ministry. 
our vocation is to serve God, no matter where we are. I am serving God, and that's my vocation. There's a beautiful book, which is older now. It's written by, um, it's called um, the... Um, It's a guy from um, California, Warren. Rick Warren. Purpose-driven life. I, I wish we would, we would read that because we've got to realize, thank you, we've got to realize what is the meaning of our life. We've got to come as a church together and help each other find our vocation. This is not just my work that I do to earn a salary. This is my vocation. God has called me to do this, that I may serve Him on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It is my vocation. How do you find your vocation? You find a vocation by praying together, by fasting together. We find our vocation and then we set apart people and give them the responsibility to serve God. That means we take away authority. We say, God is in control. You go, guy. You go, girl. And go and serve God. When we lay hands on people, we set them apart to serve and send them to be missionaries. A church that is not a missionary sending church is not a church. The word church means ecclesia. People who are called out for a vocation, for a purpose. And my prayer is that in the days and the years to come, Redeemer Life will become increasingly that, a missionary-sending church. To Chicago, to Libertyville, to, to Bolivia, to, to the south side of Chicago, to, to India, to Kenya, where we say, you go, God has ordained you to go, and we bless you, and we're going to send you. We're going to put our money behind you. Because we believe that God's message, His gospel has to go out. That is my prayer for Redeemer Life. Would you pray with me?